So let's see what Jesus is talking about in the gospel today. It seems that Jesus is kind of interacting with some religious leaders and criticizing them. And what does he criticize them for? Let's see. Well, he says the religious leaders take kind of the most prominent seat in the places of worship, the most prominent seat. I kind of have the most prominent seat, don't I? Kind of a little, little awkward here, this gospel. He also criticizes them for wearing long robes. Yeah, this is kind of uncomfortable for me, isn't it? I also have some long robes on. And let's see one more. He says, okay, he criticizes them. You shouldn't call anybody father on earth. So this is a bit of a, a problematic reading for me. Of course, it's a challenge, not just for priests. It certainly is a challenge for priests and those in leadership, but a challenge really for all of us, I think, in some ways, we all exercise leadership, whether it be in our families, at work, even among our peer group, we all exercise some leadership. And today's gospel is a strong and challenging message about how we exercise this leadership as Christians. And in addition to this, the gospel teaches us an important message about human dignity. Let's begin then with that message of human dignity. The gospel today has this strong message that all people are equal, all people have the same value. And the reason for this that Jesus gives is that we have one Father. We have one Father in heaven. And this is a really powerful message because especially at Jesus' time, the Father that you had made all the difference. If your Father happened to be wealthy, happened to be powerful, maybe even in the Roman kind of empire, unofficial, then because you had this father, you had a lot of power, you had a lot of money. It made a big impact in your life. And if your father was kind of just a simple person, then your life would be very, very different. So Jesus is saying that we all have one father who is in heaven, God our father. And God our father does not have favorites. We are all God's children. We're all loved by God the same. We all have equal standing in God's community. And this message really of equal value and dignity could not be taken for granted at Jesus' time. And we've already mentioned the case in the Roman Empire, but also in religious circles in the land where Jesus was living. We can think for a moment in the temple. So at Jesus' time, the temple, of course, was staffed by priests. But at Jesus' time, the priests in the temple were very closely allied with the Roman authorities. So they wanted to exercise power. They wanted to exercise authority. And we know that at Jesus' time, there were certain Jewish people who really had issues with this. They saw the temple hierarchy as corrupt. And a famous example of a Jewish group who really took offense to this was the Essene community, who, according to some ancient writers, uh, were one of the main kind of categories of Jews at Jesus' time. And the Essenes left Jerusalem to live in the Dead Sea, to worship God there because they felt that the temple leadership was really corrupt and not really serving God. On top of this as well, we hear Jesus interacting with scribes and Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees actually could be better than the temple priests, but still, they too could take power for themselves, authority for themselves. So even among the Jewish community, there could kind of be these different classes of people. Some people could be seen as better holy, closer to God than others. And really, this is why Christ's message is so revolutionary, so brilliant, that we all have this same Father. Because of this, we have equal dignity in God's eyes. 
And this really is what our baptism is all about. As baptized Christians, we are all equal in God's eyes. We don't receive different baptisms. If you have a certain kind of tax bracket, you don't get a better baptism than anybody else. If you're from a different family, you receive the same baptism. Baptism makes us of equal dignity, equal value in God's community. And this message was very radical. We know that in the early centuries of Christianity, before the time of Constantine, most Christians were found among former slaves or current slaves, and as well among women, because these categories of people really could, could kind of associate or feel liberated by the message of the gospel. That in our baptism, each and every one of us have this equal dignity before God. People in power and authority should not use this authority to oppress others or think that they're somehow better than others. Unfortunately, of course, as we know too well, in the history of the church, this kind of authority or leadership was not always exercised with the respect for the dignity of all the baptized. And we can think back, you know, historical uh, examples. We have infamous popes throughout histories, the Borgias, right, who kind of used the papacy to enrich themselves and lived quite immoral lives. Of course, all too, too clearly we know the devastating effects of the sexual abuse crisis, of clergy who have misused their power. But even still, we talk in the church today, and this comes across very strongly in the synod, about the way that sometimes people in church leadership don't use this leadership to serve others, but rather use it to kind of lord it over them. And sometimes this is called clericalism. So as you know, in the synod today that Pope Francis is calling us to, that's this ongoing process, they just recently, just this past week, released kind of a synthesis report that's kind of a midway document that we in the church will think about and discuss and pray about until the bishops and others meet again in Rome next October to think about it. And the synthesis report talks about clericalism and kind of the issue it is. I'd just like to read for you uh, the kind of relevant paragraph from this report. So the report goes as follows. During the synod, a lot of talk about clericalism um, was discussed, and this is an obstacle to ministry and mission. Clericalism stems from a misunderstanding of the divine call, viewing it more as a privilege than a service, and manifesting itself in the exercise of power in a worldly manner that refuses to allow itself to be accountable. This distortion of the priestly vocation needs to be challenged from the earliest stages of formation by ensuring close contact with the people of God and through concrete service learning experiences among those most in need. The exercise of priestly ministry today cannot be conceived of except in harmony with the bishop and the presbyterate and in profound communion with other ministries and charisms. Unfortunately, clericalism is a disposition that can manifest itself not only among ministers, but also among the laity. So this then is a very challenging paragraph that relates so closely to the gospel today that sometimes priests, the ordained people, don't see, or we don't see, I should say, uh, our, our, our priesthood as a service of other people, but rather use it to exercise power and authority. And of course, this is a grave temptation for those who are ordained, but as the synthesis report goes, this is a temptation really for all Christians because all of us sometimes have this desire for power. So we see sometimes as well in church groups, 
that people can kind of try to use their positions of leadership not to serve others, but as ways sometimes to exercise power over them. So unfortunately in the church then, <coughs> this, this has been and continues to be a bit of a challenge that we need to overcome in the light of the gospel. Jesus, of course, shows us a very different way, a very radical way to serve as leaders to those around us. So the first point of advice that Jesus gives us is that we need to avoid hypocrisy. We need to practice what we preach. We preach Jesus Christ who came as a servant and therefore in preaching this, we need to serve other people. Hypocrisy, kind of this idea where our message is different than our life, is such a risk, of course, uh, for the church and also in greater society. One kind of very famous example of this has to do with the American Declaration of Independence, and probably some of you are familiar with this, but in the American Declaration of Independence, it was written by several figures. One of them was Thomas Jefferson, and in the American Declaration of Independence, we read, all people are created equal and have the right to liberty, life, and the pursuit of happiness. So this was written, among others, by Thomas Jefferson, but as we know from the study of history, Thomas Jefferson had many slaves. He was a slave owner. Over his life, it seems that he had maybe 600 enslaved persons that he controlled. So this, of course, is a great point of hypocrisy that this liberty that these people are demanding for others, they're not giving to those around them, those very close to them, that they have power to give this liberty to. So hypocrisy then is such a risk, a challenge that Jesus cautions us against. We're called to practice what we preach. The ultimate message of this gospel, of course, is that true leadership, and again, we're all called to be leaders in one way or another, true leadership is not through the exercise of authority and power, but through service. To be a true leader in the Christian sense is to serve, and this is what Jesus came to do. The gospel is talking about this from start to finish. Jesus had authority, had power as being God, but he emptied himself of this power. He became a servant. Jesus says he came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus, we saw at the Last Supper in John's gospel, washes the feet of his disciples. St. Paul gives us a fascinating and important illustration of what it means to serve in his first reading to the Thessalonians. St. Paul uses an important image. St. Paul tells us that if we really want to know what it means to serve, as Christians, as leaders, we should look at parents, as mothers and fathers. We can think about this ourselves, of course, all these wonderful models of mothers and fathers out there who serve in a selfless way, laying down their life for their children, not counting the cost of their service. And Paul, in his first letter to the Thessalonians, that is a mouthful, Thessalonians, takes on this image Paul in his letters sometimes says he's like a father to the community, that he serves them selflessly. He's not looking to enrich himself. Paul even emphasizes to the early Christian communities that he's continuing to exercise his trade. Paul was a tent maker, and these early Christian communities were so fragile, so new, that Paul could not receive any, any sort of gain from them, even food or a place to live. So Paul continued to work. And in the letter we heard today in the first reading, Paul describes that he is like a mother to the community, nursing the community, caring for the community in a gentle and kind way. We're all therefore called to be leaders in some way. 
We should reflect then that true leadership is exercised as Christ has taught us in service. This is the call of our baptism to be servants to others. The gospel today, but especially the first reading, encourages us to look to parents, to mothers and fathers, to learn what it means to serve. So let us therefore take some time to reflect today by looking at the examples we have in our own lives of these parents who serve selflessly their children. And let us be inspired to imitate that example.